excited to be here today. I hope you are. So that means about 40% are. The rest of you, God will do something to you while you're here. Today I want to share from the book of James. This little book is challenging. And yet it's encouraging. And so since I'm going to be speaking from chapter 1 and a few verses in that chapter, my prayer is that God will challenge us and encourage us. And only He can do that with the exact same words. This book begins with something like this. Count it all joy. When you fall in or experience trials, count it all joy. Trials are not something that I look forward to. And I must confess that often in the midst of them, I don't start out counting them joyful. But when they're over and I look back and see what God accomplished in the midst of it, then I count it all joy. Because sometimes trials and tests can become painful. They can take a lot out of you. But what James was trying to get across to them and to us is, God has an end in mind. He is producing something, and sometimes... It happens in the midst of the fire. Sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. And so that's kind of the context before the passage that I want us to look at today. In James 1 verse 19 and 20, it says this, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now notice that. Be swift to hear. You got two ears. But be slow to speak. You got one mouth. You know what that says to me? We ought to be listening a hundred times or a hundred percent more than what we speak. Now that's challenging, isn't it? We ought to be listening, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Now, verse 21 is my text. Therefore, when you find a therefore in the Bible, find out what it is there for. This therefore is to connect all the 19 verses, 20 verses before this particular verse. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow or abundance of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, he's writing this message to a bunch of dispersed Jewish Christians. They had been dispersed from Jerusalem and and Israel to other countries. They were of Jewish descent. They were Christians. And he says to them, lay aside 
all filthiness. If you and I are really going to become the people that God wants us to become, there are some things we got to get rid of. Let me say that again. Three people said amen to that. There are some things we got to get rid of. You cannot run with a backpack that weighs more than you do. You got to get that backpack empty of a bunch of stuff if you want to run the race of life successfully. So he says, put away, get rid of filthiness and the abundance of wickedness. He's talking to Christians. Did you get that? He's talking to Christians, people. People that have been redeemed. People that have gotten right with God at some point in their life. And yet, because they lived in a wicked world like we do, they had gotten some filthiness involved in their life. They had an abundance of wickedness in things in their life. Perhaps the way they thought about things. Perhaps the way they spoke about things. And then he said, we have to receive some things. Receive with meekness the implanted word. Let's stop there a minute. What did he mean by the implanted word? Implanted word means it's the word of God that you've got down in the deepest part of your being. It has been implanted in you, in your spirit. Now, I'm just like you. I know a lot of stuff in my brain. A lot of us got stuff in our brain. And some of it is squirrely. Some of it is good. But even the good stuff I've discovered over the years, I've learned a lot of facts, but I can't live those facts until I get a hold of them on the inside. I can only live successfully those things that I have implanted in my spirit, in my soul realm. And once they get there, then I can live in them. Example, I was raised in a Baptist church. And for some of you that were, you know what I'm about to describe. For others that don't, you'll learn. I went to church three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, faithfully since I was about two or three weeks old. I was raised on a church pew. I heard sermon. I heard teaching. I heard it in Sunday school. I heard it in training union. I heard it over and over again. You must be born again. And they preached it and they preached it and they preached it. And every once in a while somebody would get it. But you know what happened? Repetition. Eventually, I got it. And I got born again. Did you know now? I don't have to hear that message. That's a mighty fine message, folks. I don't have to hear it every sermon to realize I got something good. You know why? Because I already got it. I'm not rejecting the message or the messenger. I'm just saying I have personally experienced it. I know that 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 that's truth. And the devil, nobody else can talk me out of that. I got that. I can live that. Are you here? When you get it, you got it, and you ought to know you got it. 
and nothing or nobody can talk you out of it because you know it because it is God revealed inside. His word has come alive on the inside of you. You got it. I was pastoring my first church and I was, I realized in just a few weeks I was in over my head. I was the grand old age of 18. And I realized I was over my head, so I was praying, seeking God, reading the Bible day and night, trying to figure out something. I didn't know much and didn't suspect very much. I was trying to figure out something, and as I got to the book of Acts, I was reading the book of Acts with my brother and and with another pastor that I roomed with in college, and, and we would pray together every night, we'd study every week together, and... I had an experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that experience didn't uh, replace my born-again experience. It just revealed something. I was born again in God at the new birth that now became a reality experientially. And you know, I've had people try to talk me out of that. that, That doesn't work. Can't be talked out of it. I experienced it. I, 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 I got it because I got it studied out of the Word of God. I've read other people's histories and stories, but I didn't base mine on what they said. I finally came to the realization the Word of God says it. And I got it based on what the Word of God says, and it's down on the inside of me, and it's going nowhere outside of that. In other words, it's a reality. It works. I found out about healing for your physical body. Same way. What am I saying? I'm saying when you and I get the word implanted in us, we got it. And you can live on that. You can live that. You can live victoriously on that. That's why it's so important that you and I put the word of God in us. So how do we get the word implanted then? You read it. You study it. You hear it. You meditate on it. You personalize it. You declare it. You declare it. You declare it. God, your word says that by your stripes I'm healed. We didn't make that up. Spurgeon didn't make that up. No other person made that up. That's a revelation from God. His stripes provided healing for our bodies. You get the Word of God in you. You read it, you study it, you meditate on it. You say it, and you obey it. That's challenging. That's challenging. For example, God says you're forgiven. But your feeling says, I don't feel forgiven. Right? Anybody ever felt that way? If I felt that way every day, I'd never go to church again. No, no. If you go by your feelings, it says one thing. But you know what the Word of God says. And so what do you do? You declare what the Word of God says. And you obey it. You get up. You act on it. Because you got it. Because you've got it. Same thing about spiritual gifts. Baptism in the Holy Spirit, healing gifts, prophetic gifts, whatever they are, obey what the Word of God says.
You know what you know. You got it. It becomes a solid foundation for you. And when you obey what it says that you've gotten in your spirit, things happen. Now, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Wait a minute. These are Christian people we're talking about. I thought they were already saved. Right? That's a good question. When you get born again, it's your spirit that gets born again. The innermost part of you. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord. Faithful is he who calls you who also will do it. You are tripartite being. Your spirit has a soul, lives in a body. When you get born again, according to John chapter 3, and I believe it's verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. When you got born again, it was your innermost being or your spirit that got born again. But your soul, mind, will, and emotions are still the same ones you used to sin with. That's what we're talking about getting saved to these people and to us as believers. is not the spirit, the new birth. You already got that. But the soul get changed. Changing the soul, mind, will, and emotions. Which is progressive. The new birth thing is instantaneous. But soul salvation is progressive. And that's where the challenge comes in. To renew the mind according to the Word of God. To harness the emotions. To commit the will. That's a challenge. But you're up for it. Why? Because greater is He that's in you than He that's in the world. And if you and I submit to His Lordship, He who lives in us is able to... Take us step by step in the renewal of our mind. He is able to harness the emotions. Thank God for emotions. They're good things. Thank God for emotions. They're good things. When they're harnessed and channeled in the right way. They're very productive. Because with emotions that are properly channeled, you get excited to worship God. What does the Holy Spirit do? He comes along and ignites channeled emotions and allow you to express those emotions in worship and adoration of God. For religious people that don't know that, they have sad worship experiences. They never smile. If they did, their face might crack. They never express anything because the sanctuary is holy. By the way, folks, this is not a sanctuary. This is an auditorium. The sanctuary is the house you live in. All right? What am I saying? I'm saying we need these things. You need a renewed mind. You need channeled emotions. You need a committed will. And God can help you carry you through till that is accomplished. Let me throw it out to you like this. When you got born again, 
you were saved from the penalty of your sins. As you get the word of God implanted in you, you are saved from the power of sin. And when you stand face to face before the Lord, you will have been saved from the very presence of sin. So he said here, receive with meekness the implanted word, the words you got on the inside of you, which has the power, which is able, King James says, that comes from the word power, dunamis, which has the power to save, not the spirit, but the soul, mind, will, and emotions. How does it save it? Soul sal- and this statement here, soul salvation is an ongoing progressive work whereby the flesh is recognized as crucified with Christ and holiness of life is expressed from within because of the work of the cross. Now I know that's a long theological statement, but it covers it all. I'll read it again. Soul salvation is an ongoing progressive work whereby the flesh parts of our life that's not yet submitted to the Lordship of Christ, is recognized as crucified with Christ. And you know, James and and Paul in, in Romans said we should recognize that. Consider yourselves to be dead indeed into sin, but alive unto God. That's what you and I are supposed to consider. Whereby you recognize the flesh is crucified with Christ, And holiness of life is expressed from within because of the work of the cross. God is doing something, folks. Now let's proceed on to verse 22 to 24. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Or what kind of woman she was. Be doers of the word and not hearers. If we are merely a hearer and not a doer, Scripture says, I didn't make this up, Scripture says we are deceiving ourselves. A self-deception when we hear and do not do. Now, when I went to naturopathic medical school, we learned a few things about the brain. You know, that's a magnificent thing that God put inside your skull. Wow. It is absolutely mind-boggling. I read where, or I actually heard in class, one of the professors say, and I'm assuming he knows somewhat of what he was talking about, that he said, you know, all that scientists have discovered about the universe, stars, planets, all this out there. And there's a lot they've learned. There's a lot they don't know yet, but there's a lot they've learned. He said, what is yet to be discovered within the human body, specifically the brain, far exceeds that. One one little tidbit. You have in your brain long-term memory and short-term memory. But in one of the lectures, the professor was talking about how that when you hear something new, 
but you do not use it within 24 to 48 hours, you've got little glial cells. They're, they're the cleanup cells in the brain. And they go around scooping up all the junk that needs to be disposed of. And you, that memory that you didn't use for 24 to 48 hours, they scoop that up and dispose of it. But guess what happens? When you use it, say it, perhaps over and over again, or in some way use it, it gets moved from the short-term memory to the long-term memory, meaning you can access it for years to come. You know, do you reckon God knew that and inspired James to say this? That if we just hear and don't do, we're deceiving ourselves. We think we got it, but we don't really got it. We don't really have it. Every once in a while, my wife and I will be discussing something. And she says, you remember, and I know when she starts it off like that, I probably don't. And she tells me something that happened, and I'm, what? I don't remember that. And, you know, here's, here's a logical reason why I don't and why she does. It was more important to her than it was to me, and if it's not important to me, it's gone. That's right. It was important to her. I could ask her our grandkids' birthday. She knows every one of them. I don't know any of them. And I quote, I quote Albert Einstein as my source for that. He said, if my wife is going to remember it, why should I? <laughs> That's right, Albert. I got that. I agree with that. She remembers it because it's important. I don't remember it because at that particular time, I filed it back there in the unimportant file. And those little glial cells came along, took them away. Be doers of the word and not just a hearer. If you're just a hearer, you deceive yourself. You're like a man looks in a mirror and says, Oh, wow. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets. Sometimes the reason we have tests in life, God may be allowing, allowing us an opportunity to find out for ourselves if we really got it or not. Because you know where the, mo- uh, the, the rubber meets the road? It's when you face a trial when you need that thing. And there's when you find out whether you really got it or not. God already knows. We're not telling Him anything. He already knows whether we got it or not. But we are finding out if we really got it in the midst of a trial. Something happens, you're going to need your faith, you're going to need God to come through for you in one way or the other. Uh-oh. wonder what God says about that. And you can go search it out for yourself. Or you can call somebody else and ask. But it's so much better when you already got it. 
You've already got it. You, you've been in the Word enough. You've read enough. You've quoted enough. You've declared it enough. It's over in long-term memory. And not only is it there, it's down inside your soul. you got it. And you say, Mr. Devil, no, 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 no. You're not going there. We're not going there. Because the Word of God says, how did Jesus re- resist temptation three times? It is written, it is written, it is written. That's how he did it. That's a pretty good example. Satan comes along to test you, put you in difficult situations. It is written. It is written. In the book of James chapter 1 verse 25. But the person who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. And is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Wow, I like that one. What's the perfect law of liberty? The revelation of Jesus Christ and all he's done, all he's provided, all he's given. That's the perfect law of liberty. And it starts with this book. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty, and what does he do? He continues in it. In other words, he obeys it. He does it. He puts it into practice. Again, referring back to medical school, they had a little slogan that said this, see one, do one. Remember that, George? See one, do one. You've seen a procedure, now go out and do it. Debbie was my guinea pig. I remember one of the class sessions we had, and it was was on uh, discovering swollen lymph glands. You know, in your, in your shoulder, arms, and under your armpits and all this. So after that session was over, I said, come sitting in this chair. <laughs> and I start poking around on her neck and, uh, you know, and just looking for these, where these lymph cells or lymph glands are supposed to be. And I'd find one here and I'd say, oh, that, there, that's it right there. Because you see, they taught us they feel a certain way. They can be hard. They can be kind of soft, they can be kind of in the middle and if they're real, real hard it means this, blah, 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 blah so I would go in, I would feel I feel up under her arm okay, I could, yeah, I feel that, yeah, right and sometimes when I would, uh, you know, uh, adjust her neck, I could say, well you got a swollen lymph gland right here and if I had not been trained to know what that was I would might have thought it was a vertebrae but it wasn't a vertebrae, it was a swollen gland. And so they taught us how to massage it to make it release. And all the junk, get out of there. Because it was just doing what it was designed to do. It's there to gather stuff. And it was just doing that. But sometimes they get, it gets out of hand and they need to be released. So the body can flush it on out and, and you'll be okay. But she was my guinea pig, so I would try that. See one, do one. So whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein and is not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, what's going to happen to him? He's going to be blessed in what he does. He's going to be blessed in what he's doing. Want to be blessed in what you're doing? Listen to the word and do it. Once you've looked, once you've seen it, act on it. Remember, What Jesus said to the disciples among the last things right before he ascended back after the resurrection. He sent them out. 
And he told them, go and make disciples of all people groups. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe or obey. Teach them to obey what I have said to you. And I will be with you even to the consummation of the ages. So among the commands, go and make disciples. Didn't say converts, disciples. You got to be a convert, yes, but then you don't need to stop there saying, well, saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven one of these days. I'm just waiting down here till it finally all winds up and then I'm going. No, don't just be a convert, be a disciple of Jesus. Baptize them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey. That's the challenging part. Teaching them to obey. I've been preaching and pastoring for 54 years now. One of the most challenging things that pastors face is getting the folks going in the same direction at the same time. That's that's challenging. And if you've got very many kids, you'll probably find out the same thing works that way there too. Getting them to go. Obey the Word. Do what the Word says. That's such a problem that some churches nowadays are very little different from cheerleading sessions. They feel the need to do a dog and pony show to entertain them enough that they can speak three minutes of a message and maybe some of them will get it and out of the sum that get it, maybe 1% will obey it. Folks, that's the truth. That's the truth. What am I saying? Teach them to obey the things that I've commanded you. And I will be with you all the way to the consummation of the ages. Verse 26. If any man among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Now we're back to the tongue. Two ears, listen 100% more than you speak. Now he's going to wind up this by saying, if you think you're religious, again, talking to Christians, but he doesn't bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. Three times in this one chapter, he talks about deceiving yourself. I think that's important for us to be aware of. And if he deceives his own heart, his religion is useless. Vain, empty, useless, pointless. In other words, it's not going to be productive. He's going to be an individual, she's going to be an individual that have had an experience, but the reality of what they experience is not viable in their day-to-day living. You go up to somebody and say, are you a Christian? Oh, yes. What makes you think you're a Christian? Well, I was raised in a Christian family. And I won't get it. Sorry, I won't get it. You can be raised in a Christian family till you're 97 years old. You're still not going to heaven unless you made Jesus Lord. Right? So, you can be religious. 
You can have an outward form of religion. But unless you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's no real life on the inside. See? So he says, unless we bridle the tongue, we'll deal with the same. Verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. Now, he's already talked about in verse 26, bridling the tongue. So that's the first one. Is to visit orphan and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, why did he say those three things? I suggest to you, the reason he said those three things particularly is because they're important. But not only that, those are three things that you can't do by yourself. You can't. I'm going to bridle my tongue. Try it. You, have you heard anybody say this? You know, I've been trying to watch what I say and I've bitten my tongue so much it's bleeding. You know what scripture says in this chapter earlier? No man can harness the tongue. God can. People can't. So he said, bridle your tongue. Can't do it without God. Then he said, visit the orphans and widows in their trouble. Be benevolent. And we should be doing that and perhaps even more. But we need God's grace manifested. And last, he says, keep yourself unspotted from the world. You can't do that either without God's manifested power in our life. It takes God to enable us to do those type things. So, he tells us, if you really got it, this is the challenge. If you really got it on the inside of you, you can do things that you would not be possible for you to do otherwise. If you don't got it, and you try doing it, you'll find out it's pretty difficult, if not impossible. I'm going to watch what I say. That's millions of people, New Year's resolution. I'm going to watch my tongue this year. I'm not going to so on, so on, and so on, and so on. And sometimes it lasts till January the 2nd. But with God's grace, what's grace? It's unmerited favor, but it's divine ability. With his ability and his power, the tongue can be bridled. But that's the person that is swift to hear and slow to speak. Do you know God don't need our opinions? I've got an opinion about that. Do you know he don't really need it? I've tried to tell him a lot of things before. He wasn't interested in hearing some of them. You know why? Because he knows everything about everything already. What can we inform God about? I was listening to a fellow pray one time. And this, is, this was a really good person, really committed believer. 
And I was listening to him pray. And he was instructing God how for God to do his business. Isn't that amazing? As if God needed instruction because he didn't know something. Well, God, don't you know that we're praying for Sister Sally? Now, let me tell you about Sister Sally, God. And he goes on and on in describing what the doctor said about Sister Sally and how there was no hope and she's down her deathbed and all of her kids are, are beside themselves. Oh, God, you, oh God, would you intervene? Do you know he don't need any of that? He knows Sister Sally's condition. He knows where she is. He knows where the family is. And he knows what the solution is. You know a better way to pray is, Father, your word says that by the stripes of Jesus and on the bloodshed of Jesus on the cross, there's salvation for those three kids. And begin to declare what the word of God says. Faith comes by hearing, not our opinions, but the word of God. Are you here? Did you go on? See, that's how we do it. That's in line with the Word of God. God doesn't need our opinions. I've learned something, and I am closing. Sometimes we try to tell God to be what the Word of God says His nature already is. All right? God is love. And the list goes on. God is full of grace and mercy and loving kindness and so on. So when I pray for somebody that really needs help, and I'm saying, oh God, would you please show your grace to them today? God, give them a special measure of your grace. Do you know, God is nothing but gracious. And He's already surrounded us as believers with His grace, according to Psalm 512. So I don't need to do, pray that way. However, I need to pray like this. God, I thank you for your grace. Can you tell the difference now? I'm not asking God for something. I'm thanking God for something that he already is. That he's already provided. Lord, thank you for your grace over their life today. Thank you, Lord, that they're coming to recognize your grace and your hand working in them. That's a more biblical way to pray. Did you get it? If you allow that truth to pop open in your understanding, it'll change the way you think and the way you pray. You never have to tell God His own character. Just thank Him for being that characteristic. You never have to tell God something that He's already promised you. You never have to beg Him for it. You don't have to beg God for that. Why? Because he's God. He's not like us. See, if we, if we pray according to the way we see human beings, we'd have to do all that stuff because we're forgetful. I do not need to remind God that he's a loving. God, would you show me your love today? Folks, if he didn't, you'd be dead already. That's right. If God wasn't manifesting his love for you today, this room would be full of dead people. He's already done that. So, Father, I thank you for your love today. I thank you, Lord, we're walking in your grace, your mercy, and your love today. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have shed abroad your love in our hearts. Hallelujah. See, I don't have to ask God to do that because he's already done that. That's who he is. I just need to 
declare it as an accomplished fact because of what the Word of God says. Let's get that down in our spirit. You get it down in your spirit, and folks, you can live it. You can live it. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you speak. It changes the way you pray. It becomes reality. Now, we're becoming what? A doer of the Word. See, we're appropriating it. And as we appropriate it that way, he said, you will be blessed in what you do. You will be blessed. I like being blessed. How about you? I like when things work out good. Even though it may be different than what I planned. If it works out for my good, hey, I'll take that. Yes, I like that. Today I want to leave us with a challenge. Are we a hearer or a doer of the word? Are we allowing the word to sink in and change the way we think? Harness our emotions and let our will be committed. Which is it? And if you're like me, you might say, well, in some things, I believe I'm, I'm, a, I'm doing the word. I believe I'm a hearer and a doer. And in other things, I'm, I may be just a hearer. I've already told you that I've experienced that about myself in a lot of ways. That I got, I've heard it. It's up here. But I haven't got it down here yet to where it's, I can walk it out. So am I here only? Or am I here and a doer? And that's the person that gets generously blessed. Father, I thank you that you want us to be hearers and doers. Father, I thank you for your grace, mercy, and kindness that's been manifested toward each of us here in this place today. I thank you, Lord, for your blessing upon every life here. Lord, that you've given us life and all of your abundant blessings that go with it. Lord, you've given us understanding. You've given us peace. You've made us righteous. You've given gifts of salvation and blessings of all types. Lord, we thank you for that. Now, Lord, today, speaking on behalf of this congregation, I declare that we desire to be doers of the word. Guide our steps, Lord. We ask for your guidance, for your leadership, and declare we have it. Because we know your word says it's your will for us to know your will. So we declare that we have what you have promised us. So Father, we thank you for grace. We thank you for favor. We thank you for revelation. And Lord, may the challenge of these passages live with us over the coming days. Would you stand with me? I could have some of the life group leaders and elders, altar workers to be down at the front. I'm going to dismiss us. But I believe a number of people have been challenged enough that you need to respond to something that was said that has really stuck with you. 
And what I'm going to ask you to do is come down and meet with one of those and let them talk with you and pray with you. For some, it may mean making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. For others, it may mean laying aside some of the abundance of wickedness things that he talked about. For others, it may be be filled with the Holy Spirit or a physical healing or healing in the family, some other area. You respond to what you feel God impressing you today. Obey the word and he'll bless. Father, I declare your blessing over these, your people. I declare, Lord, that we are blessed coming in and we're also blessed going out according to the word in Deuteronomy 28. We thank you, Lord, that you bless the work of our hands. We thank you, Lord, that we bless our lives, our family, our finances, our health. Lord, that we are blessed coming in and going out and that everything we set our hands to this week brings forth the blessing of God. And we tell the devil, get his hands off our lives, our family, our friends, and the work of our hands this week. In Jesus' name, amen.